Hello, bonjour, ni hao. This is John James and welcome to another episode of Champagne Strategy, where it's my job to deconstruct world-class strategy, growth, marketing, and the latest tech with just a sprinkling of champagne. This is a show where we talk to the modest achievers and the less famous but more interesting people of the business world, many of whom keep a very low profile and some of which are even from the underground. One thing is for sure though, all of my guests are people who are senior achievers but still aren't afraid to occasionally get back onto the tools, into the weeds and get their hands dirty. They will often have battle scars to show skin in the game and money in play. So welcome to the show, Kieran. How are you? Yeah, pretty good. I've got a cocktail today. Okay, what are we drinking? Because you gave me this recipe. It was pretty complex. I'll just show it to the camera. I've got, got a Savati biscuit on top here, and then um, I've got ah. floating on top of well, my, uh, my cocktail. What, what are we drinking? Unfortunately, I'm in a pandemic, so uh, lockdown, and I couldn't travel to my Italian grocery to get a Savati. So I don't oh. have the biscuit, but I've just got the tiramisu cocktail here. And since you're a chef, I thought it'd be great to... Use something that doesn't require as many bottles of liquor, but you know, you can get out the coconut milk and the masala and put something together. I'll have to admit though, I, I took out the coconut milk because I, I drink long blacks, right? So I kept it just like, mine's probably a bit darker. Um, oh, wow, you did. Yeah, yeah. but uh, you're not going to get that creamy texture that a tiramisu is known for. It's a sacrifice I'm willing to make, but cheers anyway. Mm. Cheers, I'd love to see what yours tastes like with a long black. I know you normally do champagne, but I like, I like cocktails because they're like, it's like cooking with liquids, you know? That's true. Mixology, right? Get your essential oils out, your bases and complementary flavors. It's actually quite interesting. Anyway, more about you. Give me a yep. quick backstory, maybe one to two minutes of like who you are, where you've come from and what you do right now. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds strange. Um, coming from you because you have known me for a bit, but I've worked in almost every category out there. So ad technology, publishing, small publishing, big publishing, consortium agencies. I haven't actually worked in small agency, that, that's, that's one, but I've worked across every category known to man, especially with my role in, in data technology as well. That was with IOTA and I used to work at Seismic, which was, it was an ad server it actually was a contender to, to Google's ad server before. It was a duopoly, now it's pretty much a monopoly. Amazon, when they bought Seismic, they've kind of ingested it into themselves. I think they've, they're taking the technology for themselves for their own benefits. I'm not sure they have aggressive expansion plans to compete against Google, but we'll wait and see. Interesting. So today's episode is about the world of digital advertising, specifically display, programmatic, whatever you want to call it, which is just for everyone else's take, but I want to get you to answer this question. Is the graphical ads you see in between the news articles you're reading or the website that you're visiting or little banner ads that are flashing here and that on, on the left and right top of them? Hopefully they're not flashing. <laughs> <laughs> well, they used to in the past. So, so yeah. that's a big part of your role now, correct me if I'm wrong here, but yeah, maybe, maybe just to give a quick definition, like what is programmatic advertising? Programmatic, you know, it's funny you say that there was actually a meme in, in one of these insider forums recently, which was, or I think it was a comment on a story, which was, oh, programmatic, people are still saying that because it's, it's actually become the majority way that, that people trade at the moment. But this is from a global sense, Australia, not so much, but programmatic is actually just replacing the manual way of buying things. So generally in the past, you'd sort of have an IO we're talking about digital here. You used to have an IO that you'd manually sign and email back. And Sorry, this IO? is just insertion order. So it's like a, it just, it's just what you're buying. So the seller will like produce it to the buyer. And so you're buying this and they'd sign it. And then at the end they would vet it and go, Oh, I, I actually bought this. The results are the same or different. And um, programmatic is actually just automating that whole process of buying and selling to put it simply, and it doesn't have to be real-time auction environment, you know, it's just, the, it's just the automation of that process. So when we're talking about advertising specifically, is there a better name for, for advertising? I mean, I, I, Google has the display network, they call it display advertising. Yeah. 
So you're saying that programmatic is a type of buying. It's a trading. It's a, st a style of automated trading. Yeah. Right. Okay. So what is display advertising then? Display. Well, it would be served at an impression level on a page and think of it as just something that's not generally hosted on the website you're looking at. It comes from somewhere else and and it could, it could come from that, that company you're looking at that page. It could come from their actual uh, publisher side ad server as well, but it's just something that appears in front of you on an impression by impression basis based on a number of different data points. What isn't display advertising then? Like what does that get confused with? Uh, display doesn't really get confused with many things, I don't think. But when, when we're talking about, I think you're talking about real-time bidding, what's not real-time bidding, that is not, is, is like direct. If they come direct to a publisher and a manual IO is signed and then it's managed, the publisher will run those display adverts. Display in general is just a term that kind of describes anything that's not content and is kind of housed in like a, like a container. So you can put visuals in it. That container could be like a, like a video. Sometimes display just means everything like that. Sometimes video is separated, but when we're talking about social, that's not display. Yeah. When we're Google? talking about like what's Google, what GDN, like Google, Google display or... network. That's what, okay. Search is not display, but Google GDN is Google display network. So that's display. Hey, I'll just have to complain just one minute here. I just, this garnish, I had the biscuit inside my cocktail and uh, I went to pull it out and then it's broken off. So I've now got a soggy biscuit inside my cocktail, which used to look very good. And now it's disintegrating. So I have to say just in the future, don't do that garnish straight away. But yeah, so you, to your point, like display is not really, it, it's kind of just a way of categorizing stuff. If you were to break out a buy, most people don't just buy display. It's a mixture of everything. Okay. So I, I just work in digital advertising. So Although someone, some, yeah, it's all, the lines are being blurred, you know, well, like someone who's advertising these days, right? Yeah. I mean, outdoor billboards bought on a time basis, digitally in rotation, TVs bought digitally, radio, uh, okay. Spotify's digital. So in, in these circumstances, when we've maybe got a term that's, that's used quite widely to mean something, and then it sort of changes over yeah. time, perhaps we're left with this legacy terminology and, and is it, maybe what you're alluding to here. So I've heard teams use M recs or medium rectangles. I've heard the word like banner oh, advertising, they... you know, display advertising yeah. was the GDN network or Google display network, which is a bit more ubiquitous maybe in the last decade. So let's go back to the origins of, of what I call graphical advertising on web pages. What did it used to be like? Like how did it used to work yeah. and where are we right now? Well, the first banner ad was actually on wired.com in 1998. And I actually worked with the guy who, who had a hand in that, Scott, who moved to Australia to work for Seismic back in the day. That was actually manually pasted into the website. And yeah, so back then, you know, actually it, it was new for everyone. So it performed really, really well. There, there was no such thing as like ad fraud and just, just the whole minutiae of everything we have to deal with today. It was just put on by Wild, Wired Mag and I think they got something like 40% click-through rate or something. It was like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I have I to verify that. get like 0.1% sometimes, right? Well, that, there's a lot. Yeah, these days we don't look at that. Not because it's a low number, but just because it doesn't mean anything, it's just a proxy for what you really want. So what you really want is an outcome when you advertise. True. Okay. We'll get to that um, in a second, but let's go back to, so why magazine? I remember working for McCann's, I would have been in 2008, seven. And even then like YouTube had just become cool and people were sharing videos in the office. And I remember talking to the head of digital then, and uh, we just like, foreign land that the digital person was over there and nobody really understood what they did. They yeah. were talking banners and they would be doing direct buys with certain websites or, or network sure. websites. And it was all very hard to describe. So what was that stage? So let's go from 98 kind of forward to early. Yeah, I was at the early stages. I remember 
early career with Omnicom when they had this thing called Acuin. And, you know, they were sort of confusing everyone as well, you know, with all the stuff that was all foreign to everyone. I mean, if you think about it, it was a paradigm shift. So it was a different skill set needed. And there were different people doing it. Young people too. So you've, you know, you've got older people in agencies who didn't really understand it. Maybe they felt under threat. You know, today, like you could probably liken that to something that's that's kind of new and upstarty and and sort of doesn't have as much money being poured into it but people still are dabbling in it that could be maybe advertising in the in the video game space you know some agencies have small like teams of one or two kind of dabbling and punching away at it seeing how they can sort of work with it but yeah it was it was a big shift and i just think that you know it's never going to stop because advertising goes where the people are and you know, I think it's it's a way for content creators to be rewarded for obviously like producing what they do. And, you know, these days that that it's not a direct relationship. So so the consumer isn't rewarding the content creator. Whereas, you know, and that's 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 the whole that's the crux of advertising really. It's that you want something for free, but nothing in the world is free. So you either have to pay for it or you're going to get ads. And I think that'll, that'll never end. Um, so someone, so you, let's just like uh, define this here. Someone controls the audience, like the publisher or whatever you want to call it. The organization has an audience that, that visits or consumes something. And as an advertiser, you have to rent that attention. And, and that's what you're referring to here. Yeah. I mean, it's the way they'll work. I mean, you go on YouTube and if you don't pay for YouTube premium, you get ads. And that's your choice, you know, and that's the same for every single publisher, you know, some, some of the, some of the big titles, you know, with us, you know, if you're looking at, at the Australian, they are mainly subscriber and there's certain, there's different models that the different publishers have and different networks have some will produce like a light version. So not, not, not as, not as much advertising, very stripped down, very lean because, you know, if you still have an audience, you still want to be able to offer that audience something that they might be interested in. And so there's always, there's always certain types of engagement models. I mean, even, even if you pay to watch a movie, I guarantee that movie is going to have product placement in it. So, so you've still paid to watch that and that you're still getting an ad. So it's kind of not one or the other. I think in this day and age, it's wherever there's an audience, there'll be, brands and businesses and services wanting to talk to that and they'll be working with those content creators to to get their message across even if it's not overt so we've talked about the difference between programmatic display we've talked about the history a bit if i had a budget and i've got a brand and i've, I've put some money into maybe google search i've put some money into social media in whatever regard let's just say you know with a direct buyer with facebook's you know fbx or whatever and I've got some money for billboards and TV. I've got some money for online advertising or display or programmatic, whatever you want to call it. How would I go about spending that money? Like which part well, you've already, am I using? Who am I going to? Who am I talking to? You've already put, you've already put some towards online okay. you know, without saying it. So you've actually put some into Facebook, but then, you, then you've said, I've now got money for online. So this is the weird part about, about planning these days is that they, people consider these things separate. And you're advertising in a closed network. So you're advertising on a highly controlled space with rigid ad units that's highly competitive. It's a black box in the way that attribution works. And when you start to delve a little deeper into it, it's actually something that isn't that effective for branding. Might be good for DR, True, but just let's just backtrack a bit here. You can't really yeah. buy, maybe there's a mismatch between how you buy online advertising and what you should be buying. So at the minute you can buy based on, you know, clicks, you can buy on impressions, which is like every time the ad is served up on, on a device, you can buy on sort of reach metrics, but you can't really buy attention, can you? Yeah, well, I mean, those that facilitate the buy won't ever let you probably buy via attention because there's vested interests but when you measure results and you look at what facebook when you put like a, a tracking tag on it in this case from moat 
1.7 seconds as the average time in front of someone's eyes. Can you imagine a TV network saying to advertisers, we've got this new 1.7 second TVC. Would you like to buy it? And that's pretty much what social's doing. So when you, we've actually put this on our, our network, we've taken the same tracking tag and we've taken the same style of ad unit and it's nine seconds. So on, that's on that's on on our on our network just in front of someone. That's the average, wow. nine seconds for for that ad unit. It changes. It completely changes depending on what what the ad unit is, right? Like some. I mean, when you're looking at you know s s stuff that kind of comes down as you scroll, it stays there for longer. When you're looking at things that might disappear after a couple of clicks, like a like a like a leaderboard, for example, depends where it's placed. Like if it's right up the top not as much time in front of you. If it's actually a leaderboard that kind of sticks to the bottom as you scroll, it's, it's got a lot of attention. It's there, it's there a lot. So I think it's, it's the difference between size, screen space, and how long. So it's like a time and size uh, metric or formula that, that would be good to look into. But when you're looking at Facebook, we know, it's, we know what size everything is and 1.7 seconds is just not enough to do anything with. Karen Nielsen Field actually has a, uh, a really good planning for attention white paper that I think you should look at if you have access to WARC because... Um, I, I have read that actually. It's actually pretty interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's really great. And, you know, that's why I say there's vested interest and in why the tech that allows you to buy isn't going to change anytime soon. It's probably a big job. I mean, what, what happens is when you load a page and these ads appear, they, they run through an ad server and that ad server will charge whoever's using it on an impression basis. That's just the revenue model that this tech works at. And the same thing is the data, the data providers that, that, that informed that buyer that that's a good impression to buy, they charge on an impression basis. And then, and then the tags on top of it that kind of like measure viewability and that sort of stuff or brand, brand safety, that is charging whoever's using it on an impression basis. But you can't just flick a switch. But what you can do is you can, as what we're doing now, is, is you can actually sell it you know, cause we're at the end of the chain there. You've got all the tech underneath doing it on an impression basis, but you can actually sell it on a guaranteed attention. Maybe you want to buy 10,000 hours of attention with a minimum reach. Then you can do that, but you just have to understand the back end and understand that you can actually do it. And it's actually quite easy with any premium publisher would have a high amount of attention any social network won't, which is quite worrying if you're pouring a lot of money into, into social thinking you're going to improve your brand. But there's also a performance element in terms of attention. So, you know, we did a case study that just got released that said there's been 168% increase in signups when it was on an attention-based model turn that off and it drops 93%. Turn off the attention-based buying Before model. Back to impression buys. Yeah. Turn it back on and it goes back up again. So this just goes to show that inextric inextricably attention is linked to also performance metrics. Okay. So, so you know, there are this, there, there is this low hanging fruit where there's, there's a certain thing that you have to think about when, when you're data targeting, right? So if you're going to buy something anyway and you search for it and then you buy it. So, so what's happened then is Google have then taken a clip of that attribution and, and that was an unfair clip because you, you've already, you're already going to buy it anyway. And so data, so that, that was the, that was the end of the funnel data. And so we're talking about attribution here, right? Yeah. Yeah. So when, when you say something performs well and people look at social, 
social does that. So social knows so much about you to, to the nth degree. They know when, when, when teens are pregnant before their parents do, you know, that sort of creepy stuff. Sorry, what? Well, it's an old, it's an old story. This woman was upset at, I think she was in the States upset at ads, ads on Facebook for preg for baby stuff mm -hmm. to her daughter. And then it turns out later on that she was actually pregnant and they, and they found out. So, so some signals were saying that she was, and so they knew before that the mum did. I think if you just Google that, it'll, it'll come up. It's yeah, an old, okay. I think it's like I four will. years I'll old. Put but... in the, in the links. <laughs> Interesting. So, so it's, it's, it, so yeah, so social does that because they know what, what you are or what you're going to do before you do it. And then they slot an ad in there and then they take it and they take that performance attribution. So I have a feeling like a good number of results that come from social media sales may in fact have just happened regardless organically. Okay. We'll, we'll talk about measurement in a sec. So I don't think you can grow just on social is what I'm saying. Um, just coming back a bit, let's just say to the unacquainted who are very new to this online display advertising world, if I had some money, how would I spend that? Do I go through a platform? Do I talk to the news website themselves and go, Hey, can I advertise on this page or section or, uh, what do I, what do I do? What do you, how do you advertise with, with what yeah, publishers about it? Say I've got, I've got my creative idea. I've got some ideas yep. about what. Ad so I you either. Have. So you either go direct, right? That's contacting who you want to advertise with. Uh, example. Let's just say it's news. You contact, there's a small business. There's a, the, you just Google it. There's a page you can contact someone to get in touch with you. Okay. If you want to go down the self-service route, we have a self-service model, newsconnect.com.au. I mean, when you buy Facebook ads, you don't talk to someone. Yeah, sure. So, so that's self-service. Okay. So, so people who are traditionally not self-service are going down that model. You know, I think nine has like nine Voyager for, for TV where you, where you can also just buy like, you know, regional TV spots and things like that. But Google has been doing this since day one. There's a lot of movement towards self-service and it doesn't, it's, it's not because it's, uh, you know, just trying to eliminate jobs. It's just because that's what people want. And you know, when you give them that flexibility to do their own, you know, if you're very transparent about what, what, what you're doing and what you're looking at, so the audiences come up and, and you know exactly what you're buying, I think it's going to make a world of difference. There's no black box in the way that we're doing it, like there would be in other areas, but that's the route we're going in for supporting small business in Australia and solo sole traders. So tell me about Google. What, what do you mean? Google has a self-service platform that you can advertise on Google. Or do you mean like on other websites? Like search. I mean, you don't talk to someone when you buy search. So, so right? there's um, direct buyers, there's self-service with the publisher themselves. Is there another way you can buy advertising on like multiple websites all at once? Yes. Yeah. So that, that would be another way of self-serving, I guess, but you subscribe to a demand side platform. So you, DSP, this is happening right? a lot. It's happening a lot in big, well, yeah, DSP is the, the thing. So it's happening a lot in big organizations. And what, but, are, what, are, um, what are some of the names of these things? I'm, I'm just curious, like, uh, is there a brand? Yeah, the trade, the trade Desk. Okay. What are the other big ones? The Googles, DB360. There's like 11 most popular ones in Australia, and I should actually know these. There's the Adobe DSP. I don't know. You can go on and on. There's Apple Nexus. Microsoft will have one, right? I'm guessing. Like there was ad no, rolls think Salesforce one period of one. time that had a platform where you could do, you know, retargeting. Yeah. So we're getting into the technicalities here, and I'll, I find I'll put it. A diagram in the, in the in the comments below, so people. Can no, no, I know, but it's it's, it's interesting because, is it is it though? I mean, so when you when you sort of look at like how your electricity gets to your house all the different resale outlets of electricity don't have to explain in intricate detail how it gets to your house. You just buy it. You just want to know the price and the rate. And that, that's with anything complex in this world. And 
I feel like it's, it's this strange trend of the industry for the last decade of like trying to explain how programmatic works to like a CMO and it just shouldn't really need to be explained because the, you don't need to know unless you actually really want to know for a certain reason. Then I suppose that's a top level view. So you're saying like, don't get too um, fast over the technicalities of how the mechanisms work. No, because it's, it's, it's like when people get up there and they just start talking about all this, I mean, there's a certain audience for that. And most of the time they're just trying to look smart in front of people and, and trying to confuse them to, to <laughs> who knows why I've seen it. I've seen it done. So people can like, you know, be left alone <laughs> back in the early days in the agency, <laughs> pull up these charts go look. Yeah. And then, you know, people go, Oh, okay. You know, let's just leave them to do their thing. That's, that's too, too complicated for me in this day and age. Like, you know, you just got to be realistic and say, is it achieving the outcome that you want? And that's the focus of, of programmatic in the last couple of years has been outcomes based. Okay. Let's, if, let, let's talk about this. Cause I really want to talk about this. Cause you used the analogy of the electricity, right? But you know, yeah. if your electricity is on or not, because you've got appliances running the whole time, right? They're, they're that's the outcome. On, oh, they're off. That's the outcome. It's very simple. Pretty um, much. But with advertising, what yeah. are we measuring here? How do you know that the money I'm putting in is actually doing something that I want it to do? And I, can I just add to that? If you want to go further with your electricity, you can choose to be green. Oh, buy green electricity. So, so that's, that's you going into the next layer and going, oh, I want to understand the mechanisms and where this comes from. Oh, I want to, I want to go. And that's why you would probably want to understand programmatic if you want to choose certain things along the path. But on, on a basic level, most people don't really need to know. So what they need to know is, are you getting what you're buying? That's transparency. And then the second bit is, are you getting the outcome you want? And yeah, let's, let's go with the first portion then, because I think we hear a lot of um, discussion about ad fraud. Like, how do I know what I'm getting? You know, is there these yeah. bots that are clicking on ads and like, there's a, this guy that I, I follow on LinkedIn who's, who's always talking about ad fraud, right? And there's these articles that we're watching going, hey, you know, 70% of the supply chain is fraud. These yeah. companies making huge amounts, like on a massive scale. And unless the buyer and the people, you know, upstream are aware of all these intricacies, how do you detect ad fraud? Like, how do you know what you're getting? So, you know, that's, that's kind of really interesting that you say that because it actually doesn't exist to a degree in what we call premium publishers. It's not really an issue. It, what you're talking about then is like the long tail of programmatic. You know, when you have, when you have these black box vendors who manage programmatic for you, sometimes they will, I mean, if someone, if, if you're subscribed to someone, uh, a desk to do the programmatic for you and they are always delivering, there's no problems. You, you want to target this, they deliver, target that, they deliver, you know, have a have a deeper look at, at at where they're actually delivering it to, because they might be using the long tail to fulfil that, and a lot of people these days will just whitelist premium publishers. So so that that's that, and then there's the other thing that happened a few years back called ads.txt. So if you go to any website, go news.com.au/ads.txt. So that, that will say, these are the verified sellers, SSPs of our inventory. And then there's the uh, sellers.json, which is, which, which goes, I think in the, I think it goes in the exchange. Wow. Now it's getting too technical for me, but, but basically what's happening here is that there's verified lists of, of who's able to sell inventory. And there's no way that you can, cause back in the day, like you used to be able to say, I have financial times inventory. That's, that's because that actually happened in the past. I have financial times industry. And then people would just be buying it. Like you only had to put your hand up and say who you were, Like you could just fake it. And so I feel so sorry for like advertisers between, you know, 2006 all the way to like 2015, 
because half the stuff they ran on could have been just, you know, fakers. So, was. so, so, you know, that, that fixed all of that, right? So it's, it's verified. So programmatic is that term used to automatically replace IOs, but real-time bidding is where you really need the, these protections in place. So once you've got that, we have that, we've had that for a while. Then you look at, okay, you know, that's not our fault. You know, we've been around for so long. You know, if someone's pretending to be, to be us, that's just a fault of just the way that that system kind of worked back in the day. But what, what I'm getting at is that you don't need to worry about that anymore. The reason people talk about brand safety now, it's not really about ad fraud. It's to do with either, you know, and there's arguments on either side of this is brand favorability. Is this all brand safety? So is this sitting somewhere that, that I want my brand to, to be next to? And, and the trouble with programmatic is that it's audience-based, a lot of it. It's actually quite the, just the way everything's set up. It's just hard to kind of do contextual buys because it's just an audience-based kind of approach to advertising. It's just like, explain what, I don't, what an audience-based approach versus contextual is. Yeah, sure, yeah. So it's like, I don't really care where it is. I just care who it is to a degree. So that's audience. Yeah. So there's a lot of stuff happening around privacy and, you know, consumers and the right to know. And what's happening here is that do you sit on the side of the fence of, well, businesses deserve to know all this because all the stuff you're consuming is free. Jeff Green, he's the CEO of the trade desk. He had a quote recently, the quid pro consumers explaining the quid pro quo of the internet to consumers is going to be the toughest challenge of the next couple of years. Is that because everyone's because, conditioned to, to expect things for free that they've been using unbeknownst to them, you know, their data is being used. By un unbeknownst, yes. Yeah, but yeah. that's the quid pro quo. That, that's um, the word of the, the year when Trump first said that. Okay. So is that, that's the problem, right? So what I think is going to happen is you're going to see a lot of websites saying, hey, do you agree that X and Y data can be used? You know, and you say, okay, and or cancel or no. So, so yeah, so there's that, there's that aspect. And then, but then the other aspect is, you know, even if you did agree, that's like, oh, oh great. And, and then it's just back to where it was where you just get cookied, right? So, so then, so you've got a cookie, all that is. And I, I, I read that the founder of the cookie just called it a cookie because he likes cookies. It has nothing to do with anything. But anyway, so he, he made it. <laughs> People have so made all this. To be like, I think it's an analogy based on breadcrumbs. Like if you're eating yeah. a cookie and you're walking around, yeah. you're leaving little crumbs as you go. So that's like the cookie is that's, the that's a convenient That's a convenient interpretation of it. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. But so, so it is like that though, right? So you, it's, that's, that's the foundation of the internet. And, and the reason it's been invented in browsers is because... You know, it was actually never invented for advertising, right? It was invented for, I've signed in, I've put this thing in my shopping cart, you know, I've done that. And then it was like, I've got two separate sites. So, you know, when they go here, I need to remember something about that person or what they've done there. And so it was actually like a feature of the internet. And just like anything, like features become exploitations you know, in a loose term, exploitation is, is, is doing something to someone or using something of someone without them knowing. I guess you could probably call it like exploitation as, as the cookie system. <laughs> Maybe. So advertising needs to function without that, right? Or with it, with people's permission. This is, this is what I mean, John, like getting into the technicalities. When you ask that, when you do that, it's not worth it. It really isn't. And that, that's, what, that's what advertising is caught up on, right? Is technicalities and, oh, what's this? What's that? And you spend an hour explaining it. And then it's like, oh, no well. One still, no one understands anywhere the, after that. What was, the point? what was the point in that, right? So <laughs> you've got to stop delving into these things. and do Like you, do, you need to know macro concepts because... And this is the problem with the current, oh, I don't get into politics here, but like, so vaccines, you just have to know they work. Now, anything complicated, 
always, always has people that don't understand it and therefore are against it because of the lack of understanding. And to understand that, it becomes, you know, and how out far of reach. down the rabbit hole do you want to go, right? And yeah, it be, it's like some, pe- people spend six years on a medical degree and then they specialize and then they research, then they understand it. So, you know, like some people, if they don't understand something, they're against it. And, and that's, I guess, one of the problems with programmatic is that there's people who understand it all, but you don't have to. But these people with money that want to spend online and they don't understand it, they'll just avoid it. And, and you know, that's just the same with a lot of things in this life. It's, it's something that's complicated. You just have to know that it works. Okay, so, tell so it, good point. Tell us what you want. Yeah. Great. How do you know it works? Let's get into metrics. Comes. Say I've put some <laughs> money into my programmatic display advertising and like I've got $2 million to spend on my global campaign. Like I give it to an agency, I give it to a trading desk, you know, whoever this, the person is to execute. Yeah. How do I know that it's working? Like, what am I measuring? How do I know that they're not going to swindle me and like avoid ad fraud and all those kind of things that we've been mentioning before? Well, everything is a proxy for, for something that you really want. Right. So if you're actually looking at bounce rates or something, it's like, that's just a proxy for attention. I mean, really all a bounce rate is, and when you look at Google analytics definition is someone who has been to the page that they were meant to go to after clicking and not done any other action on your website. But sometimes that's enough, you know, like if you land somewhere and you read it, and then you leave, oh, apparently you're a bounce. It doesn't matter how long you spent there. So, so you know, you know, funny story that, like, let me interject. We had this, I had this client, a law client, right? And they had this secondary website that we set up as like an affiliate website, I call it, which is just an informational thing, but doesn't tie directly back to the brand itself. So it's more just like a question and answer website to help um, get people to understand some and answer some common questions they would have. What we do is then, you know, cookie all those people and then retarget them for the brand itself who was offering that service. Anyway, the point is, it was all about questions and answers. And so people would, question, would ask the, the question about, you know, how do I know X, Y, Z? So we would answer it and we would answer it the most effective way possible. And after time, I would get better and better at answering this question more succinctly and concisely. And because I answered it so concisely, once they visited there, the bounce rate shot up to like 98%. Right. So then everyone was like, oh, wow, we'll get a really high bounce rate. Oh, no. Oh, bounce rate bad, bad. And I'm like, no, we're actually answering the question really well. Like the bounce rate is not really the metric we should be measuring. And then everyone was worried about, oh, what about the SEO? Google doesn't like high bounce rates. Um, yeah. But so sometimes the, the, the more efficiently you answer the question online or an online experience, the, the higher the bounce rate. And it's not always a bad thing. Yeah. So now, now I'm talking your language as well. So that... Yeah, you get that, right? So that, that, that is the case with every other metric that people have been using for digital. They're just proxies. And if you, if you try and hold yourself to them, you're going down the wrong path completely. So what you need to do is go, okay, what's end game then? So end game could be getting a message to people. You've got a product recall. You need, to, you need people to recall that message or let's just say it's sales, direct sales, or it might not be sales. You might not know what you, what you're sort of selling. You just want people in the door. You want footfall. And so these things can be, can be measured. And that's what you need to think about when you're buying, you need a vendor that can do it. I mean, we can do it. We can do footfall. We can do, we can do sales. So basically converting the sales to exposure linking them so that we know you know what they're exposed to and then you know they shut off and bought the product so we've actually linked that to that in in a dashboard and when you have that you know what's actually working return on ad spend right and the other one is let's just say yeah first example the brand recall right so we'll do like a exposed bucket and a not exposed bucket so you've got like a baseline and then ask those questions it could just be brand uplift and recall that you want. 
not, not just the message and you just ask some questions and then you basically know that those who were exposed and the, what's the frequency they're exposed to those that were exposed actually went ahead and recalled correctly the, the, the brand or the message. This is a good point. That's what I want to talk to you about because there's this fallacy in ad land that, hey, we need to buy reach. We need to buy paid reach. Well, reach at all that's costs. what everyone's caught up on at the moment is reach. Yeah. But all reach is not equal. So when you, when you just analyze things by what reach did I get, what was the quality of that reach? If it was terrible, the, the whole message you've spent so much energy and effort building has been completely wasted. There's so much waste in advertising and it's not because of, it's not because if you don't know where it goes. I mean, I think we've got pretty good at knowing where things are going, but I think it's just because you don't know how long it's been in front of someone for especially when it comes to uh, digital. You know, that's why we implemented cost per completed view. You only pay for the views that you've completed to the end. So, and that's, that's, that's an extreme measure. That's like right to the very end. You know, that's not true view. Like YouTube's got a similar one like that, but that's, that's if you don't click skip. So that's only after six seconds, they go, oh, that's a true view. This is right to the very end. And that sort of stuff, I think is why there's so much spend in TV still because people know the full 60 seconds was played, 30 seconds was played. And well, I mean, that's all they know, right? <laughs> who was in the room, you know, who knows all that sort of stuff. Well, they actually don't. Facebook did a, a funny, well, it was a Facebook sponsored research that did uh, an expose into, into that, it, like actual attention on TV ads. It was actually yeah. hilarious. They found out that like, two-thirds of people while they were watching a scrolling Facebook were, were on their mobile phone <laughs> and I can't say who it is but I heard anecdotally from somebody else that they knew the head of a very 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 large bank in Australia who knew that no one was watching their ads because they had such a high sample of everyone watching like real-time data of people using their banking application at the exact second moment of all the ad breaks, they knew their advertising on TV was ineffective, <laughs> even though they yeah, were spending well. like tens of millions of dollars a year on it. So like, yeah, even TV yeah. suffers, but maybe there's a more robust framework and maybe more ingrained in the, in the buying of it, that, that media that it's more trustworthy. Yeah, that's interesting that you say that. But I think it's all changing, you know, we're moving towards attention Facebook won't be able to counter that. They won't be able to, uh, unless they change their whole UI and, and way of working, they won't like that. You know, the way Google make a lot of money is on a CPM. Mm. In fact, Google make a lot of money with search. I think search is so powerful because attribution gives marketers who may just be looking at the top easy results. It gives last click attribution to search and then they forget everything else that yeah. led to that search well we've without branding you're not gonna one. we've got another whole oh there's that yeah yeah coming back to what you just mentioned though this is really interesting i want to ask you this where are we heading to okay so we've talked about the past we've talked about first party third party sort of yeah death of the cookie perhaps and we're sort of shifting where do you see it going in the future is it so where mediation the supply chain is it first party only direct buys ar vr what is it <laughs> so we're heading towards a future and no one can predict the future. And, and so I just hate doing predictions. Well, the next decade is going to be a privacy. You know, people would love for this to breeze over. Like we've had all these trends like year of the mobile it went for more than one year, but it ended. And that's sort of these sort of trends, like people think privacy is a trend, but I believe it's more of a decade long transformation. So once that, 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 that's already kicked off a few years back and it's, it's moving quite fast and it will be a case of a future whereby you have finally have control of your data and through the, <laughs> through a lot of pain, I guess, to get there because it will disrupt a lot of industries that rely on that, you know, some companies exist 
in a way, some middlemen vendors and, and ad tech, they, they exist in a way that just cannot exist in a privacy future. So th these companies obviously are fighting, you know, there's, when you have like, vested like interests. I, I saw an ad the other day, I, I sent you a link, I won't say who they are, but a very large DMP, uh, data management platform for everyone else. And uh, they're advertising for a new role, right? <laughs> and this is hilarious. Yeah. I love, I love the said sort of nuances in, in a role description or a job description. And they said, oh, this is going to be a very interesting position. <laughs> and uh, it's because they're under a lot of yeah. pressure because the whole business model was built on this resale of third party data to other systems. And obviously they're in the crosshairs now of, of this trend yeah. and the whole business model is getting completely crunched. And now everyone's pivoting to being called like a CDP or a customer data platform instead of a, a DMP, which is basically just putting a CRM on top of some data and, and augmenting it. Um, which Pretty much. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen these movies, Minority Report and Blade Runner, especially the newest Blade Runner, right? I think it's a 2040 or whatever the one of the most recent. Yeah, yeah, I, I remember that movie where it had a picture of him on the billboard. Yeah, yeah, and like the person, this yeah. hologram is coming down and like t talking to him directly, his name, and and it's really a comment of like, is is that the future? Like, just for context, I read this article a couple of months ago about Uber and Lyft using like banners on top of the, the vehicles or on the sides yeah. or whatever as an advertising area. And then they would use real-time geolocation data of the person where the car is within whatever suburb and then the 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 details from the the passenger perhaps to then advertise my message which would change depending on where the car is so for example it was yeah. like near soho in london you know it would be showing maybe cocktail bars or or broadway shows uh, or theater shows for example and if it was in a, another borough like maybe brooklyn they'd be showing like some trendy fried chicken place that you can go to like a restaurant like do you see the the future advertising being that nuanced so i think if you give someone enough utility value based off your if you do something for a, a customer or, or a reader or something that has enough utility value so that that was all my sort of technical questions right let's get back more onto you tell me about you've obviously worked with across many campaigns, many clients, as you said, for, for a long period of time, since the infancy of, of digital advertising and programmatic digital um, display, whatever you want to call it. What are the most yeah. effective digital campaigns that you've seen in your time? Well, I wouldn't say infancy. Not, not, it's, it's, it's a bit older than, I mean, I'm 33. So yeah, once it, it was going for a good 10 years before I got into it, but well, Back then you, it was all like WPP. I mean, 33 would be fired <laughs> by now, right? So, so the, the question was, if, if, can you rephrase that question? So again? tell me about some of the most effective ad campaigns. Oh, the most effective. That you've been part of. Look, the most effective, like, and this is the thing, right? Like I've had a lot of effective campaigns in inverted commas because it pleased someone and they said that's So I'll give you, I'll give you an example, right? So I was working at an agency and I had a, an automotive, I'm just going to leave it at that, but there was like a, like a test drive page. And one of the digital producers at the company I became friends with, and she was, I was just telling her like, why don't we make it so that we can verify these people who are signing up for it? you know, you might get better quality leads. And she went away and, and worked out the best way to do that. She did a test and it would have eliminated something like 20% of the leads that were just rubbish. And so she proposed that to, and I'm not going to go down the track of like how some, <laughs> how some of these leads could be not real people and just fake data. And sure. there's a, anytime you put a form up in the ether, you know, if you're a legitimate business, you're going to get fake leads because it's just the way ad fraud works in the long tail, right? They pretend that they're an auto intender and they make, anyway, so that's a whole nother topic for things. But anyway, so she's verified these leads and her manager was like, oh, so how many leads is that going to drop down to? She's like, oh, probably roughly like a 
drop. And he's like, oh, well, don't bother doing that. Yeah. She's like, uh, okay. She, is that? And he's like, yeah, I just need to maintain. We've already got this volume. And if there's a drop, I'll have so much explaining to do. I don't want to bother explaining all of that to everyone. So just keep it as it is. So I just covered so, this with um, Chris Walker's episode, episode 11 on this podcast. So we, he refers to them as volume metrics and the danger of using volume metrics. So yeah, yeah. completely understand. So that's the same with reach, right? Like, oh, you reach so many people. That's so good. And like eventually, and you know, I don't, I don't do this. It's all about outcomes, but in the past, like you used to be able to do that and just feel comfortable because you're actually having to explain, you're actually having to battle against the person buying the stuff to tell you that, Oh, that actually wasn't successful because you know, we should have been looking at this and that it's just a lot of effort. Right. So I think, the success and, and the interpretation of was that a success really needs to come down to the marketer and they need to communicate that really, really effectively and, 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 and basically not give way to proxies. So they need to actually say, if they're using an agency, please communicate to everything that's everyone that's running this, that these are the KPIs and I don't want any proxies being measured. I mean, you should be able to just tell them not to even report back on impressions. And it doesn't even make any sense. Not report back on CTR because you're just clouding the results then. As soon as you start reporting back on that sort of stuff, you start looking at it. It doesn't make any sense. Okay. okay. So you, let's take a different tack then. Let's, let's, let's say by proxy, let's talk about the campaigns that you know have been a complete failure that have gone really bad, maybe some that you've been personally involved with that you want to fess up to, but like what happened there and why were they a failure? And then maybe by explaining that, we know the ones that are successful. Hyper-targeting is a problem. You know, there's been a lot of campaigns where people get too hung up on, on the name of, of, of like the audience and and the, even when they get their clients across it or advertisers direct as well you know they get hung up yeah this this business or audience that you're targeting might have enterprise and we only want decision makers in small business and you might be accidentally targeting some large businesses and so let's not use that completely and it's like let's narrow down and all of a sudden you get a campaign that just can't deliver because you only know so much. And then at the same time, they're buying radio and TV. 2554 mail, like that's it. Okay, but then so when it comes to digital, it's like, dum, 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 and then they can't deliver the campaign and they say it's a failure. <laughs> what else? What I, what I see all the time is this lackluster effort in, in the creative message. And I know that sounds very anti kind of media of me, but I think creative really has a, has a stronger effect than targeting, you know, like you need the targeting, but without good creative, it's a bit useless. And I see a lot of the time, you know, just quiet, boring, especially when the content the ad surrounds is interesting. The ads just kind of, everyone is like ad block. And so people really need to think about how can I make this, this area, you know, display could come in various boxes. And so, as you said, Emrick at the start of this thing, that's just a size, right? So anything, you can do anything in that size. So give me some examples. Like what, what's some of the <clears> best things you've seen within that? little size container uh, thing that, that people could be doing? Well, if you just do mobile targeting, right? So then you could, you could actually use some features of the phone. You could tap into the location. There'll be a pop-up. So, oh, you know, if, if someone's clicking, like you can actually do, so you can, you've got a, people have a landing page. This is actually one of the things I think about a lot is that people have a landing page because they can't do everything. They think they can't do this sort of stuff in the, app. in the advertising. So they, they make people leave where they are. 
And I think that's one of the biggest issues with like a, like a low engagement is that you're, you're asking people to stop what they're doing that they specifically acted on to go and read something or watch something. You're asking people to stop and go to your like web page. And so if you can think of ways that actually have utility value. So I, I, in 2018, I was in Singapore accepting a few awards for this ad unit I made that did really well. And the reason for that, because it had utility value. So it, it was sort of like a long MREC size, it's like a bonsai unit. And I worked with them to create this new unit that tapped into your current location. The, the founding insight was this, was people didn't know where the nearest Bridgestone stores were around their normal location, because it's only something you really go to when you need to, right? So what we needed to do is remind people where they were just so that when that time comes, they know where they are. And so it was a map that had the top five closest stores to them with the numbers and, and you can click directions in the ad and that would open up the native maps application on your phone. So whether that's uh, and give, Apple Maps give or you Google your, Maps or, or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. So it acted as a brand, branding unit and DR at the same time. So it was, it was both, it was like a full funnel ad unit. And which could also like audience target. And you don't have to demands. click through to the Bridgestone website. You would just see the ad. You would know, it would know that, Hey, these are the top five stores around your location based on geographic. Yeah. And I had the sale up the top 50% like off or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah. So it was a way, <clears throat> Oh, by the way, you could also then change the sale at the top based off the closest stores near the person. And it was dynamic. We had dynamic ads as well. Oh, so if you so, still had different offers, then it would automatically update. Is that what you mean? Yep. So okay. this was this was great. Like, I hope they're still doing it. But it it allowed for uh, Lamb, local area marketing, some you know franchisees to throw in stuff. But it was national. And just to stop talking about my work here, but it, it's the utility value if you provide that then it suddenly gets the engagement. But we've really got to look at, and especially what we could look at in, in this ad unit, we could look at the amount of people who clicked to call. We could look at the amount of people who got directions to stores. So these are hard metrics that we could look at. I'd love to look at sales, but at the time they didn't have the way, way to integrate that, but it was as close as we could get. And um, that's what I think every piece of advertising needs to do. But, but, I think the biggest problem at the moment, so you've got, you've got the lack of utility value. You've got you know, the audience targeting, hyper-targeting, but I think the biggest problem is um, not giving campaigns enough time to, to be good. So, so something has to start on this date, hell or high water, it has to start. And so everything's rushed and it gets out there and it turns out, you know, unless it's like a timed thing, it turns out that it was just some message that could have gone out at any time. And so, so why is that? You know, if you could just wait two, three weeks to make everything better, I believe that that is the best course of action because that ad unit took me six months to make in the back end, but it's always on. So, that, like that was an always on thing, but it's, it's stuff takes time. Good stuff takes time. And when you tell someone to rush, then you're just going to get pretty average results. I think that's, that's really interesting and great example there as well. So um, really interested. You're quite an intellectual person. And obviously we've talked before, what sort of books are you reading or have read that you'd recommend to others more in the context yeah. of what we're discussing tonight? Does it have to be books? Yes, this question is books. Oh, the old print, printed yeah, the stuff. The old school like thing on paper with the text, inky stuff, you know. On the... So when it comes to books, I don't read industry books because the, the nature of what I work in, I, I, like I get my knowledge online because it's quicker when things happen. And to, like books, I, I just... In terms of discipline, maybe marketing, advertising you know, in general or, or business. It's all websites. 
Yeah. Okay, so okay. because because that anything printed is out of date. Because <laughs> that's my next question. All right. So I mean, I could tell you the books are. I read they're all over there. Give, give me like one or two books. Come on, while you got them. It doesn't have to be on topic, whatever. Um, what is it, Anna Karenia or something? Or? Blue Ocean Strategy. Oh, that's So cool. you've read that, yeah. I haven't read it yet, but I just, I know businesses, I know the CEOs that read it and then transformed the companies. And I just think that it it's, it's hard to innovate. And this book really sort of, talks about that in, in a way that, that has actually made impact in companies. So I can't wait to read it. Okay. Websites then. I mean, like, so, I mean, the best way to, to learn something is to like go to the place that, that people who work in that like niche are and start talking and you might not know the acronyms. You might not know what they're talking about and you, you just keep reading it and eventually things just start clicking and then you understand. So ad exchanger is one, one, one newsletter. I, I, I think everyone should subscribe to is called this week in ad tech. And the website is adprofs.com. It's short for ad professionals. That's like a very, very hyper niche, but, but super informative. Like, you know, I have, I have a few mates in Silicon Valley and they have these like little things where they get all this insider information from about Silicon Valley. And it, he wouldn't tell me where he, where he gets it from. It was like an exclusive newsletter or something, but I'm just going to give out a see. Sec- I'm just going to give out a secret for me. It's ad ad professionals this week in ad tech is um, a really, really good guy. A guy called Radko Radko writes it. I think he's from Canada or Northern us. And he, he makes this with a few other people and it's amazing. But apart from that, you, you said Google, but I would actually just say the, the Google algorithm because so so when I like when I go to the left here, like this sort of stuff, it it just comes to me. So you know it'll be it'll be articles that that I that's relevant to me. And this is the thing: this is the utility value again, right? Like, sure, it's got all this data about me, but I don't really care about it because um, I'm actually getting what I need from it, and so. It's not so I'll just go to random different sites to, to read about the industry because it comes to me. <laughs> so yeah, that's my third source and that's my everything, but I could, I've got a few podcasts as well. I really like a good podcast. It's one's called the big story. Okay. That's a good one. Okay. I think that's done. Oh yeah. Yeah. What about a piece of tech that you can't do without like a, a, maybe it's software or hardware that you use like all the time with your work. Yeah, the internet, because cloud, cloud infrastructure means, so what happens is when the internet's down, when my modem gets unplugged because the cable gets caught down there, my smart home dies and, and, and my internet obviously dies. I, everything's done on the cloud. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. I mean, my job's based around the internet, but that would be it. I mean, like I can do without the device like all the devices that connect to the internet are like gateways to the internet. So really they're just like windows, you know, a screen is, that's why they call it windows. It's pretty funny, but a screen is actually just a window to the internet. Right. So I don't think they're really a thing in itself. You know, they say that when you do something on your phone, like a couple of refrigerators worth of electricity are used just to give you that information that you want. So, so in, in a way, accessing information is one of the biggest resource hogs these data centers that, that that do it chew up a lot so it's just a window yeah all the stuff happens out there but i would say I like, the, the I like infrastructure the question without answering the question that was that was really good <laughs> i should be in politics hey? as you're talking on a blue yeti microphone right <laughs> yeah well, I mean, geez, I mean, you can see me in good high def because I've got a GoPro up there. And it's connected to something else. If, if I'm yeah, not. there's a light. I've got a light, an Elgato light. So the key to good visual quality is you have a good camera. You turn down the ISO so it's not grainy, but then it's dark, right? So then you need bright light to make it better. And then you get a crystal clear picture. That's why cameras have a flash. 
it's so they can they don't have to turn the ISO up very much because when the flash happens, they can have a low ISO and it's a better quality picture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, that's something I'm going to talk to you about later because obviously my my setup needs improvement. So, okay, let's speak about what do you want to plug right now? This is your time to tell everyone if they're, if they're connected with what you're saying today to, hey, I'm doing this or I work for this company or on this project or my website. What are you going to say? I would say read up on time in view, the attention economy, and... You know, if, if the world starts starts doing better advertising, the revenue incentive of the internet also then shifts and changes. So when you change the incentive, you change the content and the people who are making it for the better. So any other projects that you're working on that you want to sort of talk about? Not yet. I, I, I could plug my podcast, but I need to do a new episode. I'm going to plug it now. It's called The Media Wire. Okay. The Media Wire. Just, it's on iTunes. And I'm going, to kick that, I'm going to kick that off again, but I'm actually changing it so that it's going to be five-minute updates about anything happening in, in digital advertising. Right. Um, and me, it's going to be just monologue. What I stopped the media wire because the person I worked with went to consultancy firms and they sucked up all this time. So um, I'll I'll just do it as a monologue style. <laughs> oh, those, those consultants, I can't trust them. Yeah. Okay. So what's the best people way for people to get in touch with you if they're really connecting with what you're talking about? I want to find out more about how this world of, of display ads and online ads work. Yeah. Um, I think just ping me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn. I'll respond to everyone. That's okay. fine. Yeah. Right. Right. I, yeah. Even my website, keaton.com.au, I've, 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 I've just binned it. It just redirects to LinkedIn. So <laughs> <laughs> like, I mean, it's, I, I'm not going to, I mean, why else? I mean, it's got live chat. It's, I mean, what's the point in having a website? You know, I could just put everything I need on LinkedIn. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, look, uh, thanks very much for, for chatting today and answering all my questions about the world of display and programmatic. Thanks again, Keaton, and I really enjoyed the chat. Thanks, John. See you next time. Just a few things before you take off. Remember to sign up to the e-newsletter so you are alerted before anyone else when the next episode drops. You can find me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, and don't be afraid to say hello or give me some constructive feedback. Also, visit the blog page of this podcast to view all the links and other material referenced in this episode. Thanks again for listening.